Hello, folks, and welcome to e-commerce QA. This is the podcast where store owners, directors of e-commerce, and e-commerce managers can stay up to date on the latest tools and technologies in e-commerce. I'll be joined on the show by my colleague and partner in crime, Dylan Holst. Our goal is to handle one or two questions per episode. You can check us out on the web at ecommerceqa.tv. There you'll be able to get in touch, ask us questions, and just generally participate. Hello, folks, and welcome to another episode of eCommerce QA. This is the show where we keep it fast and fun talking about the questions on the street about e-commerce. As our audience is composed entirely of store owners, managers, and directors. So everything we have here is very targeted. And I am very privileged today to have Darren Lynch of Irish Titan to talk about a question that I think is very relevant, which is what are the trends that we're going to be looking at during 2016 for e-commerce? Darren, thanks for joining. Bet, Michael. It's my honor. Thanks for reaching out and initiating it. I hope I don't disappoint. Absolutely. Well, you're already on a good track there. I've been following you for a long time, and you guys are doing some great work at Irish Titan. Can you give us your company's specialty in a couple of words? Sure. Where we really try to focus and go to market is around this concept of business first, online second. We've actually trademarked that. We have it framed and hanging up in our office. So it's something that we believe really deeply in. And for any listeners who are familiar with Simon Sinek's book and philosophy called Start With Why, Business First Online Second is our why. So we try to engage with clients in a way that strips away some of the the fuss and some of the smoke and mirrors around three-letter acronyms and the latest trends and focus on building digital properties that truly support their business needs. So our process, our people, um, the way we engage is all built around that notion of business first, online second. Beyond that, we cover pretty broad territory. We have B2B clients, B2C clients. We span a lot of different industries. And we've been intentional about that because we want to take our business first online second message and uh, use that with anybody who's interested. Well, I've got to say, it may seem like it's uh, counterintuitive to have someone like you then on a show when we're talking about market trends. But I actually think it's wise because we don't want to be looking at fads. When we talk about trends, we're not talking about things that are here today and gone tomorrow. We're talking about things that have some kind of uh, staying power or longevity, even if it's in nascent form. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. And you started to talk about a methodology that you utilize, not just when you're talking about trends, but in general. I'm wondering if you can share that with us. Sure. One of the things I was taught early in my career was this philosophy of people, process, and systems. I have a bit of a unique background for the founder of a digital agency in that I'm not a web designer or a developer. I didn't spin out of an agency with a book of business or anything like that. I came out of actually a corporate IT kind of background where I assumed more and more responsibility for our web operations and e-commerce operations. That's enough about my background. I don't need to worry about that and put everybody to sleep. But early in my corporate IT career, one of my first uh, bosses slash leaders, I guess, taught me this philosophy of people, process, and systems. With that sort of point of view, it helped him and then therefore helped me shape my career to be more strategic in nature rather than focusing on just the bits and bytes of the technology. So I really took that to heart. He was a great boss. And I've tried to leverage that people, process, and systems sort of philosophy or point of view, if you will, in many different uh, situations since then. Sometimes business-related, sometimes marketing-related, sometimes people-related, delivery-related. So I I really try to to use it as much as I can. It helps frame things in your mind in a way that's easy to structure, and it helps you remain strategic. People, process, and systems, or platforms, if we want to keep it with PPP. So 
you start with people. Talk to us about people. Yeah, so thinking about this conversation, to me, the people was the broadest category. And so I thought of that from an industry perspective. And so what's happening with the people in the industry, in the e-commerce industry? And really what's happening is continued evolution, which is actually supportive of where we started the company 11, almost 12 years ago now with that focus on business first, online second, because the industry has matured enough to where uh, customers and clients are demanding good, viable business solutions. So all of the segments that we're seeing in the e-commerce space, they want a good experience, whether that's a micro e-commerce sort of client, you know, which is generally $100,000 or less is what we use for that terminology. Um, a small e-commerce business storefront, which is 100000 to 500000 mid-market or enterprise, which start to go up. I think across all of those segments, the store owners are expecting a better experience to be able to provide their customers because the tools are there. I really like the fact that you're starting with experience because that's something we talk a lot about on the show. I have this kind of pet peeve around creating amazing purchasing experiences. And so obviously that's going to be offline, online. That's going to be related to mindshare, customer lifetime value and life cycle and so on. So given this idea of a good experience that every online store owner knows they need to have, wants to have, have probably been trying to create, what are some of the things that they should be looking at in 2016? I think the single biggest thing that any storefront owner or company should be looking at is really content. And that sounds awfully broad, but it has become so pervasive that content is arguably the single biggest thing that can improve the experience for someone visiting the site, a potential customer, because that content spans the actual user experience. It spans the product content. It spans calls to action. And so content has really become the single biggest driver for uh, a good experience. And of course, when I say that, what I'm taking for granted and assuming is that people have a website that is stable, has good response time, is responsive, all of those basic fundamentals of blocking and tackling, if you will, to have a good viable storefront, if you have that, then what you really should be doing across many different disciplines is understanding how you can weave content into your different activities in order to maximize your storefront. Interesting. So content. And I know that with a lot of our builds, content is this kind of nebulous thing that there's so many ways you can do it. It's hard to even build a process around content unless you're a content agency. And sometimes, you know, we're working with in-house content people and copywriters and photographers. And sometimes we're doing it ourselves and it feels like this glob of you know amorphous mass. So can you make it a little bit more structured for us? Give us some you know points and things to grab onto. What do you mean by content? Sure, and first of all, empathize with that experience. <laughs> In our project kickoff, which is a pretty structured conversation with a deck that we walk through, the thing that we talk about the most actually is content. Hmm. Because in a web project, when you're building an e-commerce site, Everyone's an art critic and everyone's a copywriter. Yeah. And so those are the two most common pain points. And really, the art critic side of things or the design side of things, as amorphous as that is, that's still easier to manage than the content. Totally. And so we see it challenges with content so frequently. And so what we've tried to do in breaking that down is break the content into, first of all, a couple of categories around product content, branding content, 
and transactional content. Those are the three buckets that we use. And so all those buckets of content, maybe I should say, need to be structured and created either by companies like ours, yours and mine, Michael, or by the client or someone else they might be working for. But then also those buckets of content need to be readily available to put on the site. And so, for example, one thing I'll mention is a tool that we started to use a little over a year ago called Gather Content has been extremely valuable for us. Yeah, I've heard of it. I haven't used it, though. Yeah, so tools are only as good as how they're used, and there are lots of good tools out there for lots of different disciplines. But Gather Content is one of those tools, like a few others over the last five years, that we've started to use pretty religiously and that have really made a big difference in our experiences and hopefully in our clients' experiences because you can tie with your wireframing and your user experience and your information architecture, you can tie certain elements on your pages to actual content buckets and then the client or us or whomever can create the content for that bucket flag it as ready for review and it starts to show up. So instead of working with Word documents back and forth or emails where you have to copy and paste and do the formatting, you can use this tool called Gather Content. So that really facilitates the capturing and presentation of that content. But again, if you don't have those buckets defined and your content created, the tool isn't going to do that for you. So it's just a tool for facilitation. You have to start with getting that content created and curated to be brand reflective too. Yeah. So when we talk about getting that content created, again, it's kind of like eating an elephant, right? Right. Where do you start? Let's assume that a client, most of our audience are already running stores. In your designation, they'd probably be in the small to mid-market. So they've already been producing content most likely for years, and they have relatively strong brand assets and potential mindshare. So given that you've got legacy content or existing content, even maybe, you know, some folks are religiously updating their content continually, but taking your random assortment of content and and structuring it in this way that you're talking about, is there a process that you go through to help your clients develop content in a specific way? Or do you you give them a schedule or how do you help clients be effective in their production of content? Sure. We approach it like a project. And one thing I'll quickly mention is you uttered a phrase that we speak frequently here about how to eat an elephant one bite at a time. Um, And so half the battle is just getting started on that journey and getting started on that journey. The first step is making a plan. And so we actually lay out a schedule and we, within that schedule, which is basically akin to a project plan, we have those buckets defined and then we work with the client to identify within those buckets, for example, product. What are the sub buckets to use our term, which, you know, it's not like we invented the term bucket, but that's the term that we use. So you'll hear me say it consistently. What are the sub buckets for the product content? So it could be categories, could be style guides, things of that nature. And so if you just define that, that can start the ball rolling. Now, what we've found is every client has one of those buckets that comes most naturally to them. Hmm. And so if they really have their brand together, then some of that brand content is what comes really easily to them. If, on the other hand, maybe they're not as brand heavy or don't quite have that figured out, because everybody has a brand, some people just can't articulate it. 
and if they're one of those clients and can't quite articulate it, then they typically have transactional or product content that comes a little bit more easily to them. Mm-hmm. What we have found is it's really helpful to find which of those buckets comes more naturally to the client and start there because if they can start to build some momentum and start to check things off, it feeds on itself. Now, the the trick in that approach then is whatever bucket and sort of content is least natural to them, they can fall really prey to uh, delaying it sometimes endlessly. And so what you have to do then, and what, what I've found is that clients expect this of us, is to manage them through that process mm-hmm. and to some extent play bad cop, pushing them to get that content done. And it's a lot easier to get that more difficult content done if they're already done with the content that comes more naturally to them because they have a rhythm and see that they're checking things off. Interesting. So you actually have them start with whatever's easiest for them and then with that momentum, then you go into deal with the harder stuff. That makes sense. And, you know, I think content is just becoming so prevalent. There are content marketing firms and there are content tools like Gather Content that I mentioned. But where there's still a big challenge is in who really owns the content on clients' behalves. Is it the marketing team? Is it the e-commerce team? Is it both? And the challenge, if it starts to span multiple teams, is who's ultimately responsible for it. Because if everybody's responsible, nobody's responsible. And so identifying that ownership can be a real challenge, but really, really valuable. And something that I see as a possibility in the future is the emergence of either content departments or content officers, if you will, chief content officer, things like that. I'm Mm -hmm. love to see how that takes shape. But, you know, an example of that is content marketing has really overcome SEO marketing or social marketing in most marketers' minds now that are a little bit more sophisticated and trying to be in front of the curve with how they approach their business because the content marketing then feeds into how your social works, how your SEO works, um, et cetera. And so content marketing is a bit of a more strategic approach, which then could lend itself to having a content officer um, and figuring out who has ownership for content development, et cetera. So that's something that I can see emerging. Talking about that problem, I was thinking, yeah, you know, director of content, something like that would make a whole lot of sense for, for a lot of our clients. Right. We're looking forward to having a guest who is one of our clients on the show in a couple of weeks, and they've done such a good job with the content. And I want to just kind of pick their brains on how they've been able to pull that off. Now, I mean, at what point do we say, you know what, everybody's trying to produce content at a faster and faster rate and still keep it quality somehow. Is this really what we should be focused on in 2016? And if so, how can you make yourself stand out? Right. Yeah. Content shock is a term that I've been hearing about, and that's related to what you just mentioned. If everybody's focusing on it, it can turn into overload. And so I think the answer to that question is an honest reflection on your site, on your digital property, to see if you have the sort of content that is engaging. And that's where you want to make sure your brand is accurately represented. If people come to your page, do they know what you care about and why? Is your product content valuable? Um, you know, and analytics can tell you a lot of that. Where are people dropping out? Uh, what's your bounce rate at various points throughout your site? Uh, are you using things like micro content, embedding things like style guides or buy now within certain points on your page without requiring people to leave? And so if you're not doing those things and you don't have good content across all the different locations on your website, then you probably need to augment that a little bit. If you have at least good enough 
content in those places, then you might want to shift your focus to some other pain points you have in your site. Maybe you don't have a good enough mobile experience. And if content is something that comes naturally to you, that might be the area where you say, you know what, we are going to be the best with content in our space. Um, if it isn't something that comes naturally to you, but it's good enough, um, and you have a really strong user experience bet or brand, then invest in that to maximize what your strength is, maximize what already comes naturally to you. Yeah. Um, so yeah. You know, that's the philosophy that we have. That seems to be something that you've mentioned several times now is, is this whole idea of playing to your strengths. There's a little bit of introspection that we're assuming you need to do here to really figure out a, a plan, but it doesn't sound like it's really that simple. What I'm wondering though, Darren, would you be able to provide our audience something as a takeaway, maybe a, like a, a PDF they could download or a few bullet points to keep in mind as they are planning out their content for 2016? I'm trying to think what of our uh, collateral might make the most sense because we've been, we've been working on our own content. We've grown a lot in the last 18 months. Uh, well, actually in the last three years and about 18 months ago, we revamped all of our content and now we're going through the process again. So I think I have some stuff that I could share with you ultimately for download. Um, I don't really have any URL or anything like that handy right now. Well, you know, this has been really good and a little bit different than I thought it would be in a good way. I mean, content is what we're suggesting folks should be focusing on during 2016 as a first order of business. Now, where can our audience go to find out more about your company and about yourself and these things that are you've been talking about? Well, our name is pretty memorable. Uh, one of the reasons I chose it was because the domain was available. So if you go to irishtitan.com, you'll find us. Um, I am also Irish, so there's no false advertising. Uh, <laughs> That's where you can find information about our company, but we also have a pretty active page on our site. I think it's news is the main navigation title, and that's where we have our blogs, um, some video content, other collateral. Uh, nice. And so that could be a valuable resource for at least some of your audience, I hope. Yeah, absolutely. Great. So irishtitan.com, and we'll include these links in the show notes. Uh, any last thoughts you'd like to leave us with, Darren? I just want to thank you for the opportunity. It was great to chat. I hope that uh, at least one of your listeners walks away with something of value. I do a lot of public speaking now, and when I kick off my speeches, that's what I say my goal is, is that I want at least one person to walk out of the room having learned something. So hopefully that's the case here, too. Absolutely. Well, I feel like I've learned a lot, and I do thank you so much for your time, Darren. And we're looking forward to seeing how Irish Titan continues to lead the way in this whole idea of content and content production thinking in a structured way about content and ultimately helping your clients grow. And I'm hoping that to apply some of this in, with my own clients as well. Thank you so much. Thanks, Michael. You've been really impressive. It's been great to work with you. Thanks. Absolutely. Take care.